Hi, everyone. I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So, Frank, we've spent the majority of this podcast series discussing the young professional journey for associations, networking, communication efforts, technology. And while that's a great direction to help with the future of organizations, and one I'm sure we'll continue to talk about, we'd be remiss if we didn't focus on the veteran member too, your your mid to late career professionals. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of those members have been paying dues for a long time and, and, you know, will probably continue to do so as long as the resources are there, the sense of community and overall the, you know, networking there. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, respect your elders, right? So in a way, that's what we're going to do today. And I can say that because I'm a part of the Gen X generation that that's kind of sandwiched in between the two largest generations of baby boomers and millennials. And it's really a group that no one talks about. But as you just said, it's a group along with the uh, soon to be retired baby boomers that continue to make up the majority of the association's memberships. It's these folks who make up the boards, the committees, the mentors of the association and attracting and retaining these professionals is extremely important. Yeah, and when you you hear about these groups, sometimes it's in the form of a myth. I don't know about you, but I like a good myth. So I got a couple for you. I'm going to run past you. All right, play a little myth busters here, right? Yeah. Myth. Gen X and baby boomers struggle with technology. I'm not too sure about that one. Um, There are some studies that show that, you know, Gen X, for example, kind of addicted to social media even more than millennials are. I mean, there might be different platforms like you know, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, but there's definitely a lot of engagement there. There's actually a, a recent poll that shows that 74% of Gen Xers say social media is an essential part of their life. And baby boomers do prefer face-to-face communication. You know, 90% of baby boomers use email. So technology, yes, you know, there are some things maybe they aren't using like you know, TikTok and Instagram, but there are a lot of forms they are using and using them well. You're right. They tend to get a a terrible rap when it comes to technology. Growing up, I didn't have a cell phone connected to my hand at all times. But I would contend, based on my own habits, unfortunately, and my friends' habits, that we could be even more addicted to our cell phones than, than the previous generations. And you're right on the social media side. It may not include TikTok. You'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us on YouTube. And that's really where an association social media strategy comes in. TikTok bad, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, good. You know, as you're you're looking to market to older professionals, you got to keep that that strategy in mind, but never discount the technology. No, not at all. And maybe one day you'll share where we can find you on TikTok. Next myth, (laughs) Gen Xers and baby boomers don't want or need to learn new skills. What? Right. (laughs) I mean, a lot of associations now have these you know, online communities and even just going back to social media adoption. Um, the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of you know, webinars. And I, I think that, yes, the past couple of years have sped up the process a little bit. But, you know, to say that there's not a, a need or a desire to learn new skills, I don't think so. Yeah, there was a, 
I hate to quote uh, AARP because that makes me sound like I'm really <laughs> about to end my career, but they say 74% of workers age 45 to 74 said the opportunity to learn something new is critical to their view of the ideal job. So again, we've talked ad nauseum now about these young professionals leaving their jobs so they could find a purpose in a new job. Well, the same thing is kind of true here with, with Gen X and, and baby boomers. They may not be exiting because mainly that's where they are in their career, but that passion to learn more still exists. So you're right. Let's not discount that. One more myth for you, Frank. Okay. You can't market to Gen X and baby boomers like you do with young professionals. And I'm going to say, yeah, you can, because I personally like email campaigns. I know that remarketing campaigns and social media advertising are, are still very effective. But in reality, perhaps your options are actually expanded a bit because you know, what about traditional efforts of print ads, mm -hmm. uh, radio ads when that's applicable, uh, printed materials? And I, I think that's something that we'll, we'll definitely need to talk about during this episode. I'm very excited about today's guest, not just because he brings some, some great insight to this topic, and he's been around the association community for over 25 years, but he's been a great friend and, and a mentor to, to both of us for well over a decade. So Frank, tell listeners who we have on tap today. Yeah, hold on. I'm even more excited than you probably, Colby. This guy taught me how to, how to ride a bike. He introduced <laughs> me to Old Bay Seasoning, which I put on basically everything now. Today, we have Dave Bowman, Senior Director of Membership Development at NARF, the Association for Federal Employees and Retirees. Uh, prior to entering the nonprofit management field, Dave was a Minuteman Missile Crew Commander in the U.S. Air Force, basically babysitting big rockets under the prairies of North Dakota. <laughs> and while working at the Society of American Florists, he learned to design a pretty decent vase arrangement. He's had the honor of working at party as an ad hoc sous chef with a real two-star Michelin chef. And Dave's a skilled amateur bartender who makes the best margaritas on the planet. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. How are you? I'm good, Frank. How are you? Not bad at all. Let's go ahead and get started. So as an association veteran, what are some of the most significant changes you've seen in the industry? In my long 25-year <laughs> career, which really seems like a long time. There are some obvious ones. I mean, technology is, is the, you know, the obvious one. And, and just, I think, in the way that technology and advances in technology, more important, sort of permeate literally every aspect of what we do. The, you know, the, the obvious outward-facing ones being education delivery. I mean, again, 25 years ago, we were talking about what would that look like? you know, what would distance learning look like? And a lot of times back then distance learning was, you know, correspondence courses, literally sending paper out, having people read it, write something and send it back. You know, now, you know, obviously that's, it's instantaneous and it's tracked and it's, it's measured and, and everything happens in, in a blink of an eye. So there's that, but I think, you know, even more important than that, and, you know, go to any, ASAE conference and you see the plethora of AMS vendors and, and that kind of thing. So just the, the way that not only we manage our data, but the way that we use the data, I mean, again, using it in ways we could not possibly have imagined 20, 25 years ago, being able to target uh, very specifically audience segments, being able to communicate 
specifically to, you know, to tailor content to specific segments of your audience. I mean, those are, those are things, again, we, we could not have dreamed of back then, but, and truthfully, a lot of that, it hasn't, it was, yes, it came over time, but a lot of it has just gotten much more intense in the last few years. Let's say the last five years, really, it's just gotten more intense. And so, I mean, that's kind of the obvious one and competition. That's, that's the other thing that I think has evolved over, over the last 25 years. Whereas before, you know, again, associations were the place to gather for, for people of like backgrounds of in a like fields uh, to come together. You know, now, of course, they can, you can do that. You can Google whatever you want and you can find it. And so, and you can even go out and connect via social media platforms and so forth. So that aspect of association benefits and, and, and association resources has dwindled a little bit, but it's forced associations obviously to step up their game and, and come up with new ways to, to engage members with that. But just having that competition out there and also in events, I mean, you know, again, used to be the association event was the place to go. Now there are vendors who host the events and do that. So so there was that. But I think the other thing that I really, I've seen, and I, and I saw it when I, when I started in associations, it was really just beginning. But this idea of running associations like businesses, of really applying the business model to associations, we're now, now in our field, it's ubiquitous. Everybody pretty much has that mentality and hires people from for-profit, from the business side, from government, local government or federal government, what have you, but brings people in with a very diverse background to support that sort of operational model of making it run like a business. Whereas 25 years ago, it was kind of like, well, you know, nonprofit, you know, we're, we're here to just kind of do things and help people. And it was a sort of, not hippies, but, you know, we were kind of, you know, we were kind of, you know, free, free spirited kind of thing. Something I, I always share with anybody that I talk to about my experiences, my first executive director, uh, it was a guy named Jeff Rains at Apex, and I will never forget him. He's still still around the industry, as far as I know. And his words to me when I first started, it was my first association job. His words to me were, you always have to keep in mind that nonprofit is a tax status. It's not a business philosophy. And every person, even association executives that I say that to, just kind of blows them away because they've never sort of heard it put that way. But that was, that to me is the crux of what has happened to the way associations run. More efficient, smarter, hiring smarter people to, to, to run the association that way. And again, obviously with the challenges we face now, we've, we've had to do that. You've got to be on your toes and you've got to run a, a, an association like that. In the past two years or so, what change do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the industry moving forward? I consulted my my own personal consultant, my wife, who is who is a 25 year association veteran as well, on this question. Dave, always um, ask your wife. Smart oh, thing. Oh to yeah. Do. Well, always ask your wife. I, I'm the first to admit she knows more about this than I do. She's way smarter than I am, um, and I'm saying that publicly, just hoping she'll hear that. Um, again, pandemic changing the way we communicate, changing the way that we engage with one another. Obviously, it's had an impact on events, and I think we're, I was, I was just reading some information, some statistics and stuff about events going on now and how a lot of the, a lot of the associations that were planning to host in-person events, they're, they're going forward with them because it would cost them a lot more if they didn't 
at this point because the hotels, I mean, the hotels can't afford to let anybody else out of their contracts, right? But they're not seeing the numbers come back yet. And even the ones who are doing virtual, who are staying virtual, they're also not seeing, let's say they did the same program last year and they got great numbers. And this year they're not seeing the numbers as well on the virtual. And the kind of my thought is that it's, they're still not ready to go back to in-person and they're burned out on virtual at this point because they're just kind of tired of Zoom. I mean, it, it, you know, it's Zoom is a great tool, but enough's enough sometimes, you know. And, and to be honest, I don't know where that goes. I don't know where we're going from here. I mean, if we can't get fully out from under this pandemic thing, you know, I mean, to, to the point where really we can just say, okay, you know, chuck it and, and we're good to go, which, which some people are doing, but we're still seeing COVID numbers. So, you know, what are you going to do? I, I'm not sure where that goes. And I do think we'll see more virtual programs going forward. I do think now we've established that it works. The technology's there. I think we'll see, uh, we'll see more virtual board meetings, more virtual sort of officer and volunteer meetings. We're certainly at NARF, we're certainly doing all of our board meetings. We, we are having our, our conference in August, um, our, our in-person conference, um, and we will have in-person meetings there. But all of our other board meetings are still virtual. And I, my, my hunch is they'll stay virtual because, because of, if nothing else, because it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, think there's, I think there's that. Remote work has certainly changed the face of every industry. I think associations have always been a good place where remote work should be emphasized and should be utilized very aggressively. Because again, a lot of times you need someone with a specific skill set. That person may be in Knoxville, Tennessee. That person may be in Dallas, Texas. That person may be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And if you if they can do their job, if a marketing person can write marketing copy for you, they can do it from anywhere. So I mean, I think that's that's a very positive you know, sort of change that I've seen and I think will continue, at least I hope so. And then, you know, just the, all the societal stuff that we've seen over the last few years, a lot of things have, have happened that there's sort of no looking back and, and associations will need to uh, sort of pave the road going forward. Yeah, I think that's a, a great segue to where we want to go now because, you know, associations have always used their authority, if you will, to, to comment on positions that affect their industry. I mean, it's what members and industry professionals, I mean, even the trade press and traditional media have come to expect from organizations, right? But I think what we've really seen is a change in the overall scope and and reach of these comments that associations can put out there. And then the last couple of years, you know, associations have begun to, to make statements on social issues as well. I mean, race, gender equality, uh, mental health and wellness, COVID, all, all those come to mind. Yeah. So Dave, if I'm correct in my assumption there, what changed? Uh, why is it important? And, and will it continue? You know, I think in, in, a, in a broad sense, you're talking about the, the, the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, sort of general category of commenting and of communicating and of messaging um, and, and, of, and of course, of action, of practicing what you preach, of em- embodying those principles um, for the organization. And, you know, my, my response to that is, first of all, associations have always been there. In, in my experience, associations, almost all of the associations I've either, either worked with or, or worked for, 
you know, really had that spirit of inclusion, really had that spirit of equity. Obviously not all perfectly, they didn't all execute it perfectly, no organization does, but they truly tried. And in the interests of their membership, in the interests of appealing to the broadest and best sense of their membership, they've tried to incorporate those principles into their mission, into certainly into their day-to-day operations internally, and then, you know, to try to, as I said, embody those principles. I think what you're seeing now, and again, it goes back to these sort of societal changes we've seen. Again, we can, I'm sure there are people who, who would argue this point, but we are a more divided society. We are more divisive in general. There is more us, you know, against them. There's more of this sort of, you know, loggerheads type thing. And I think associations and it seems to have happened organically, but I think associations just sort of decided we're, we're not going to mince words anymore. We're going to, we're going to now preach what we practice. It's, it's almost sort of flipping it around and going, you know, we've been doing this. This is how we live, work and breathe every day in the association. We're going to push this out there because it needs to be heard. And because, you know, again, the majority of our members are on board. Now, obviously, not one size fits all. Not all associations sure. fall into that model or fall into that mold. But I think in general, again, just because of the situation, the situation calls for it. It calls for organizations in that are in a position of, and I don't want to say authority because that's not really the right word, but are in a position of knowledge and experience in a particular field or in a particular way needing to step up and, and make the statements and say, this is what we believe in. I don't think associations all got together and went, hey, let's do this. They just, it sort of happened organically and everybody went, we need to do this. Situation calls for it. So yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. And that's kind of, I, I think it was just, it was a natural evolution that associations have always been there. So let's, let's say what we are. Sure. So we talk a lot on this podcast about catering specific programs or communication channels or even networking events to that young professional segment. But, you know, we, we really can't discount the continued importance of our veteran professionals when it comes to membership and Marcom efforts. Right. I mean, Frank and I hear all the time, oh, my association is different than other associations <laughs> all the time. Uh, but I got to say, it, I'm sorry. I laugh because Every association says that. And if, as we have, you worked, you've worked on the other side, you've worked on the vendor side, you know that basically it's not true. All associations are not, and that's not true. They are different, but eh, they're pretty much the same, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Goes back to, yeah, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. They're all kind of runs, you know, very much alike. Very much. What that end result is. Yeah. I got to say that in the grand scheme of things, yours, yours is a little bit different. Yeah. Your association is unique because by definition, your members are older. It's yeah. in your name. You're the retired federal employees. Yeah. And, and I really think you have you know, a great perspective on this. So how are your programs developed differently than other associations? In other words, what are you guys doing that other associations might be able to latch on to to help them engage with their seasoned professionals? Yeah, it's challenging because... Uh, you have such a broad spectrum, a broad span of not only background, but experience levels with things like technology, with things like um, communications. And we try to encapsulate it as, as much as, as best as possible. 
I mean, we, we mail things. We still mail things. We're not ever going to stop mailing things because that's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I mean, the, the median age of our members is 80. Um, now, we are the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, and we are trying to grow. We'll talk more about that. We're trying to grow that younger segment. Younger, you can't see me doing air quotes, but, you know, it, it, we're, we're trying to grow that segment. But, of course, we still have to serve and take care of uh, that older segment. And I think the, the good news is that at this point, and again, going back to the last two years, if anything positive came out of the pandemic, it was that older audiences began to understand and accept technology, at least for communication purposes, a little easier because they couldn't see their grandchildren. They couldn't go visit their grandchildren, but they could see them on Zoom or they can see them on, you know, uh, on a, a chat on their, their mobile device. So, you know, in that respect, we at least are able to reach them to some extent via technology. It tends to be email. We don't have a lot of social media uh, participation at this point. Obviously, we're trying to turn that around. We really do have to just continue to offer things in a format. Our magazine is, and this is pretty much the same with every association, you know, if you survey members and say, what's, what's your number one benefit, it's going to be the magazine. Because it's something that they see every month and they get to hold in their hand and it's the one thing that's tangible and they can touch it. But in our case, it truly is the main point of communication for a lot of our members. And so our magazine is still really, really vitally important. So we do continue to do that. Now, the good news is that, again, many of them, many of the older members have embraced technology to the point where, for example, we do webinars, uh, monthly webinars. Webinars are really well attended. And so that speaks to the fact that they do understand that technology. Now, Again, it's pretty basic. You, you click a link, you sit down in front of your computer, someone talks and slide presentation goes off. I mean, that's it's the sort of most basic form of that technology, right? And, and I think to this point, we've kept it purposely kind of at that level just to make sure everyone's comfortable. Now, we've discussed going to a more live, interactive Zoom type of environment, um, and we probably will do that because I think people are more comfortable with it now. But, but all that being said... And of course, if we were if we were on video, I would show you the written handwritten letters that I receive on a fairly regular basis from members saying, I read in the magazine that you're doing an online community or you're doing you're, you're on Facebook or you're doing something technology oriented. Please don't forget about us. I'm an 83 year old retiree from, you know, and, and again, we respect them. We appreciate their service to our nation through, uh, through their service to uh, their, their federal service. And we don't want to leave them behind. But, you know, this for me goes back to my first association, uh, or, or I'm sorry, my second association, the Society of American Florists, where the technology was moving forward to, to do online ordering, to do email, to do all of that. And, and we wound up dragging the florists kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And sometimes you just have to, you have to make a commitment to that. That's the key. We added an online community. We've upgraded our website. We're, we're doing more digital communication because we have to, because frankly, the old, the old ways just aren't there anymore. Yes, we can still mail some stuff, but people have got to make that transition. So I think that the trick is to do it, to lead in as kind and gentle a way as you possibly can, to spoon feed as much as you can. 
to really kind of, you know, and frankly, to help people when they call in and say, I can't find this on your website. I can't, you know, and we have to walk them through it. And, and that's really the only way that they'll, that they'll ultimately accept and adapt is, and, but it has to be them online and you walking them through it. You can't just show it to them. They have to do it. Now that's, I'm an old instructor too. And that's, that's, you know, it, it's much more effective if you can have them on the computer and walk them through it. We commit to do that for our folks because again, I mean, they're, they're older and we know that it's a challenge for them. So you've made some advances in technology for members as a whole. If we're talking about your, your version of young professionals, how are y'all marketing to them? Well, again, as I alluded to, keep in mind that our version of younger professionals are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, even to some extent. But it's pretty much the things you would expect. You know, a lot of our content is obviously geared towards helping retired federal employees understand their benefits better. You know, that's that's the one thing where we're, we're not necessarily unique in this aspect, but we have a different sort of slant on how we, on, or on the type of things we do, because federal benefits are flat confusing. I mean, in a lot of cases, just again, the, the government's involved, that's going to be confusing. And so when OPM, when the Office of Personnel Management or Office of Management and Budget or any of those offices makes changes that affect the employees or the federal retirees, the annuitants. I mean, all that has to be translated out to the field to 7 million people or you know, three and a half million retirees. And so the ones that know NARF look to NARF to help with that. And again, even the younger ones, to your point, Frank, the, the younger ones, we also have to be there to help them and support them um, with their changes. Now, the things we do as far as trying to attract those members, I mean, obviously we create new content that's geared more towards the mid-career federal employee, really trying to sell. And a lot of it comes down again to that marketing and coming up with the right messaging to say, hey, you know, I know you're not thinking about retirement now, but you really ought to be because you're at the eight, nine, 10 year point of your career. And you need to start thinking about what's going into your thrift savings plan, which is, which is their version of a 401k basically, or how you should be structuring your health plan now for your family. And, and, you know, that kind of thing, um, setting your financial goals and how you're going to do that within the parameters of the, the thrift savings plan and that sort of thing. So, so creating that content, building that content, but then reaching out to them through the channels where they are. I came on board two years ago and really the, the brand recognition for us is extremely low. And so we really kind of had to start at square one and, and try to build that up. Um, and so we've gone looking for the places where we know we can, we can zero in and target those federal employees, those active federal employees and, and retirees, new, newer retirees to some extent, but places like Federal News Network, their online platforms. I mean, that's that's WTOP Radio for folks in the Washington area know who that is. They've been around for years. You know, they've really built that sort of federal news radio presence into an online federal news presence. And so, you know, we can reach, we can get millions of impressions there. Uh, we can get really good, you know, brand push there. You know, LinkedIn has been a great platform for us uh, where, where we're sort of just getting into that. And we're doing carrot and stick offers. We're, we're, we're dangling, you know, incentives out there and asking people to come and give us their information for lead generation capture. And we're doing okay, but even more than that, we're, again, we're getting the impressions. We're getting the brand recognition. 
And that's what we desperately need right now. We know that for a fact, there are 700,000 people on LinkedIn who have said, I am a federal employee or I work for a federal agency or what have you. And so we know we can target them. So, so doing those kind of things, going where they live. The other thing that we have that's unique is we have a very sort of strong grassroots structure and it's very, it's very intricate. We have a very intricate chapter to state federation, to region, to national hierarchy. And again, these are all retired federal employees. So guess where they learned how to structure an organization from the federal government. So it's really sort of that, that almost a bureaucracy, if you will. And so we rely on those, those folks on the ground to also do outreach for us. And a lot of them stay in touch with their friends at the agencies where they work. A lot of them maintain their federal union membership. So if, they, if they're retired and they can still maintain their union membership, they can go to union meetings and talk to, and talk to other employees and bring them in that way. So, so we encourage that. We, we provide really strong resources for our members out in the field to use to recruit people. Obviously, we'd like to get more participation in that, but that's kind of one of the challenges that we face is that, you know, a lot of these folks are in their seventies and eighties. And frankly, they've figured they've done their time and they're, they're ready to relax and I don't blame them. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just something we have to, we have to work on. So Dave, NARF recently launched the Fed Hub, which is a community forum created by Higher Logics. Talk to us about the process of convincing association leadership of the need and then the implementation process. Yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> It was a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a stretch to get our board, our national executive board to, uh, to buy off on it and, and ultimately to come up with the funding for the first year. We, you know, we were able to build everything else into the, into the standard budget after that. But, but you know, a couple of things, we are very fortunate. And, and again, this, this goes back to sort of this dichotomy that we have. We, we have older members, but we have a lot of older members who are frankly, fairly tech savvy, who do understand the technology. And, and, you know, they may have worked in database management when they were in, in federal service, or they may have done something, you know, more IT or whatever it, had, whatever it is. Uh, so they, they have a little more technology uh, understanding. And so uh, we, we engaged our, it's called the Configuration Advisory Board, which is really kind of an old name for it, uh, but it's essentially our technology committee, and explained to them how the platform works and the benefits of it and how, what we sort of hope to do with it. And I'll, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but basically we had to get them on board and our membership committee on board. Then we were able to take it to the executive board and say, you know, this is something we really need. It's an investment in the future of NARF. It will help us to engage members. It will help us to attract younger members because this is where younger members live. This is how they learn things by going online and interacting with other people. And so ultimately it was, it was close, but we, we got it online. And I think what's, what's evolved is through fairly aggressive promotion of it in not only our e-newsletter, but particularly in our magazine, as we got it up and running, the nice thing about it, the great thing about an online community is you can lift content out of it and put it and drop it anywhere including into your print publication that's going out to the folks that may not, you know, it may not be reaching. So we've been able to do that. We've been able to build traffic's built steadily uh, over the last six months, but we're really poised to our next phase is where I think we're really going to gain ground. And that is we're building out the presence for our state federations. So every state will have its own community. 
all the state, all the members within those states will automatically be signed up for that community. They'll automatically receive a daily digest email. And so that's really where, and we're already seeing it, we're piloting it right now. And particularly in Florida, where a lot of retired people are, right? In Florida, we're particularly seeing a lot of activity on it. But it's what we've what we're billing it as, and then we're going to ultimately add chapter uh, communities as well. And we have over eight hundred chapters, so that's going to be the management of that. It's going to be just a lot of fun. That's how we're going to expand that reach of that, and ultimately get that product locked in um, as a vital piece of information, because that will be how the members will communicate. And with our audience, we have to take it slow. Mm-hmm. We have to bring them through in phases. And the, the platform, the support we've gotten has been great. So, um, yeah, we're, we're happy. We have a lot of happy members, very vocal, happy members with it. So, And that's what's important, right? Yeah. So, Dave, I want to wrap this up with a little personal background on you. Oh, we promise, yeah, we promise not to divulge too many secrets here. Uh, yeah, because we know- all go way back, folks. For those of you listening at home, <laughs> the three of us go way back. Exactly. In my opinion, Dave Bowman should be considered a master mixologist. I mean, he seems to have the ability to add a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the end result is just this really tasty adult beverage. Am, yes. am I right? I, I, I will agree with that. Yes, that is 100% true. So let's get uh, metaphorical here. What's the perfect mix of ingredients for a successful association today? Oof. Okay, this is the part where you're supposed to stump me and I'm supposed to stammer and not. Yeah, perfect. Um, you know, I think from from a staff standpoint, you have to have a really strong ethic of teamwork. You have to have a strong bond, much like a good mixer bonds scotch to it. Or so I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to tie the metaphor back together. Um, but no, I mean, I think you you have to have that sense of fit within the organization of people of a team clicking is really essential. And I think I think you see that. The nice thing is that a lot of people who are attracted to associations tend to be pretty open and pretty accessible. And so what's the word I'm looking for? Um, versatile. As many ingredients of cocktail are versatile. You can change up the, the particular, uh, you can change it from scotch to bourbon and it changes the whole profile of the of the drink, but it still works. And I think that's, you know, kind of how associations are. You can have a great mix of people with different backgrounds, but everybody some sort of comes together around that mission. And so I think that's one of the key ingredients, but also you've got to have a, a real sense of purpose. You've got to, you've got to understand what you're there for, and you've got to understand what your members are trying to accomplish and what they need. I mean, I, I've been a membership guy for 25 years and the word value has always been right at the front of my brain and you've got to make sure they understand why they should be members and why it's it's valuable to them. And when you go and order your favorite beverage, you've got to understand that it's gonna it's gonna make you feel good. And just like just like an association, how's that? That's pretty good, right? I like it, and I'm yeah. I'm slightly thirsty now. So yeah, I know. yeah, me too. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so Dave, we, we really appreciate you being part of today's discussion. Uh, let's take it one step further, put you in the hot seat one last time. Fantastic. For the final segment we like to call the briefings minute. So we're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So give us the first answer that comes to mind. Here Great. We go. Dave, if you were a superhero, would you rather have your weakness be 80s pop music or coffee? My weakness? Oh yeah. Coffee. 
Yeah, 80s pop music would be my, that would be my superpower. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather go skydiving or shark cage diving? Neither would be my answer. I, I mean, truly, I, I, I was in the Air Force and we used to always say, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? But of those two, I would take skydiving because I, I, we saw Jaws. We know what a shark can do to that cage. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So yeah, no way. Dave, this question comes with a little bit of controversy. Is a hot dog a sandwich? You know, yeah, it is. Whoa, hot take. I mean, it's 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 ingredients on bread. So I mean, it's a unique sandwich, I guess. But you know, if you go down that road, then you've got to say like a burrito is a sandwich. So I don't know, maybe let's, not. Let's stop there then. So Dave, what historic sporting event would you have wanted to go to most? Oh wow, probably. I believe it was Super Bowl 17 when the Redskins beat the Dolphins when the Redskins won their first Super Bowl. That was that was one for the books. What's the best airport to have a four-hour layover at? Oh, if it's a big airport, Denver, or if you just have to go hang out somewhere. We have friends in Palm Springs. We go out there all the time. The Palm Springs Airport is the greatest airport ever because most of it's outdoors and oh. it's usually quite beautiful unless it's like really dead in the summer. Marvel or DC Comics? Marvel. Quick answer. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, DC folks. Uh, favorite Washington, DC hidden gym? This could be a restaurant, a bar, unique location. Oh, man. Well, okay. Now that it's the Waldorf Astoria, the old post office building, the post office tower is the alternative to the Washington Monument. So if you can't get into the Washington Monument, which a lot of times you can't, you can go there and it's got it's got the second best view in DC. Or the sculpture garden at the East Gallery is really cool too. Um, oh, and Library of Congress. Library of Congress is fantastic. You go in there and it just smells like your college library. You go down and, and we actually got really lucky. We took my niece in there one time and she's just a total nerd and bookworm. And we were talking about books and we were talking about this stuff. And one of the librarians heard us and said, do you guys want to come back and look in the stacks? And I was Whoa. like, yes, take me into the stacks. Nice. Uh, Dave, we know you like to travel. So if you could live in any other country in the world, where would it be? Wow. We love London. So I, I think I would probably stray towards that. The nice thing about London is I can get to Paris in 30 minutes or so. But Dave, you're a great cook. What is your signature dish? My go-to signature dish would be um, either either shrimp etouffee, I, I, do, I do a lot of Cajun cooking, or shrimp and grits. I saw a great meme the other day that said, the way I cook is I just sprinkle things into it until the spirits of my ancestors tell me to stop. And, <laughs> and, that's, and that's, that's what I do. Got it. So last question. If you didn't work in the association world, what would your dream job be? Mm, well, <laughs> If I had been able to pass the pilot portion of the Air Force officer qualifying test, I don't wouldn't necessarily have gone for jets. I would love to be a helicopter pilot. <laughs> so yeah, I always I always kind of had a soft spot for being a helicopter pilot. Thanks again for joining us, Dave. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help your association start a podcast, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys.